Hi, everyone. Welcome to Waste 360's Nothing Wasted podcast. On every episode, we invite the most interesting people in waste, recycling, and organics to sit down with us and chat candidly about their thoughts, their work, this unique industry, and so much more. So thanks for listening and enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. This is Liz Bothwell from Waste360 with Jeff Kendall, Managing Director at Laurel Mountain Partners. Welcome, Jeff, and thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, good morning. So, Jeff, please tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in our wonderful industry. Um, I uh, worked with uh, an investment bank in Pittsburgh, a public finance investment bank, uh, who uh, discovered they could um, finance uh, with tax-exempt bonds solid waste assets. And they first did a very large waste energy facility in, in Chester, uh, and then built, uh, developed a landfill outside of Pittsburgh and sold it for uh, a very good profit to mid-American waste back in the late 80s. So uh, two of the senior partners, uh, Andy Russell and Don Ray and myself, left and basically started focusing on opportunities in the solid waste business. So that's how we we entered really coming out of the world of finance. Um, and so that's how we got started. Great. And you've been involved in hundreds of deals across the industry. So I'd love to know what your thoughts are on what's different now than, say, 10 to 20 years ago around deals. Sure. I mean, we did our first consolidation play in the mid-90s uh, in Chicago, uh, central and southern Illinois, and in, um, and required companies in Indiana as well. And there were just a whole lot more opportunities then than there are today. Uh, model pools were a little lower, but in the uh, late, sort of mid to late 90s, they were pretty high, uh, but but lower than today. I mean, today seems to be the um, maybe the highest that, that I've ever seen in the last 25 years in terms of just sort of your typical multiple. So there are fewer deals left today. Uh, people are actually, I think, quite smartly, uh, people that are left, a lot of people are looking at selling. Uh, but um, uh, the the number of deals, I think, is the the um, you know uh, the big difference. There were a lot of small haulers and privately owned landfills back uh, when we first started, and you know you'd be hard pressed to find uh, a very good uh, sort of independently owned uh, landfill around a major city. Uh, few and far between, aside from being owned by some of the larger independent restaurants by the publics. And you, you do feel like some of the smaller ones are more open to deals now than, say, they were back when you first started? Well, no, I think I think there were a lot more. So you, you could definitely find people in those days. Uh, I just think actually today, because the multiples, uh, multiples are so high, that's why you're seeing mm -hmm. a continued uh, robust uh, acquisition uh, by particularly the big guys uh, because, you know, the, the prices are so high. You still have, you have a good cap gain rate still, um, and uh, so if you're if you're thinking about selling, uh, now is definitely the time to do it. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So, how do you evaluate companies nowadays? I'm sure our listeners on both sides of the deal equation would love to to hear your thoughts. Well, the way we look at it, I mean, we we oftentimes, you know, like we are actually right now, we, we're just sort of looking around for something to do. We sold our last. Uh, consolidation play to Waste Connections uh, in April, 
And so, you know, we're, you know, looking around. Um, and so oftentimes we hear about uh, development deals that are sort of near the end and need a final push uh, over the finish line and uh, maybe someone who can bring our, um, uh, you know, the various skills we have uh, to help finish. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I actually have a meeting later today with a group of that sort. So, um, you know, a lot of times people call us. So we, you know, evaluate that particular opportunity. We usually like to find where there's multiple things to do in the area. Um, so, you know, we're not looking to really just buy one company. We're looking to say, okay, what's, what are the, um, the opportunities to build something special, um, interesting uh, in, a, in a market area? Um, you know, we've never sort of developed a business or a company where, you know, we have one asset in uh, Telluride, Colorado, and another in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. So it's, it's more, you know, we're much more concentrated uh, when we do uh, begin to build a business. That makes sense. You know, there, there are a lot of, there are a lot of aspects to sort of what you would buy relative to, um, you know, the, the price you pay, the quality of the assets, the opportunity to improve. Uh, so there, you know, I could give you a long list of considerations, but they wouldn't be that different in terms of how we would look for a business than, you know, typical sort of buyer, experienced buyer. Sure. And do you think the strong economy has accelerated growth in companies of, of all sizes and, and in the different sectors in the waste industry? Oh, yeah, no question. Uh, I mean, the industry is probably in better shape than it's ever been, best I can tell. Uh, since we've been involved in since the late eighties, um, you know, people, the big guys are pushing price and, uh, really working hard on their margins. And, um, you know, they all have very good margins and, uh, they're all run by, um, you know, in terms of the big publics by very sober and experienced people. So you don't have any of the craziness of the nineties and eighties where a lot of companies were forced to, uh, uh, re, redo their books based upon sort of flawed accounting and, um, you know, flawed acquisition strategies. The companies are much more solid now. Uh, and that, that just that trickle, trickles down uh, to small guys like us. And, you know, we begin to focus on uh, and have the opportunity to focus on things like, you know, increasing our margins, raising our prices. Um, and, you know, the rising tide does lift all boats. I would say the only concern uh, about today from an acquisition standpoint would be that uh, people, uh, firms that have a large bent in the roll-off side of things, um, they they're tend to have done very well because of the growth. You know, you look at a, a lot of high-growth cities like, say, Austin and Nashville and others, I mean, they have some very strong roll-off companies because the growth has been so great. But, um, you know, that that's they would be scary acquisitions at any kind of high price because uh, you know they could their um, you know their revenues could drop dramatically with a recession or with an overbuilding in a market. I mean, and it's definitely going to happen at some point. Sure. And what advice do you wish all business owners knew? What What do you think their top priorities should be in growing their business? Well, I think that they should start out with safety. Um, you know, the, um, you know, we've acquired, let's say, 125 companies or more, um, and not one of these small companies had a good safety program. It's kind of amazing to me. So I would focus uh, 
and we always do is focus first on safety. So a good set of reasons to do that. You know, one is obviously the human reason and to make sure people go home uh, in the same condition that they can arrive to work. Um, you know, it's a, it's a tough job. It's, it's a dangerous job. If you, if you ever have just gotten in and out of a, a truck, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm amazed we don't get more sprained ankles, you know, where most of the, um, uh, you know, it's kind of a hop to get out, out of, out of the cab. Um, you know, if you're doing rear load work and you're shoving containers around, um, you know, if you're, if you're picking up garbage for you know, residential garbage and throwing it, you know, it, it is just a tough job. And so being focused on safety for the right reasons is a very, very good thing. It has value in terms of uh, if you are safe, um, you are going to treat your equipment better. You're, uh, you're going to have less cost relative to injuries and, and accidents. So it has, it has um, you know, an effect that uh, goes beyond just uh, taking care of your folks. But you know, if you start there and you focus on your people and you take care of them, you make sure they're practicing, uh, you know, doing good, you know, using good practices, uh, you know, in their daily work. Um, that would be the first thing I'd focus on. Um, you know, the second thing I think would be on, um, you know, uh, equipment maintenance and preventative maintenance and making sure you have uh, your equipment, uh, good equipment on the road. You know, if you're in the collection business, you don't want to worry about whether your trucks are going to run. You want to worry about whether you're servicing your equipment. An old uh, friend of mine, uh, Dirk Ball, who um, had owned Evergreen Scavenger for 40 years till we bought him out in '97. Uh, you know, he had uh, what looked like a, a kind of a shabby situation in Evergreen Park in South Chicago uh, in terms of his site, but his trucks were all perfect. And you know, he he sort of taught me that motto and uh you know we've tried to stick with it and always have a good good equipment maintain it well service it well and um you know helps with, obviously with customer service and helps with safety as well sure like so you give you a list of how, how far how far you want to go down the list <laughs> well, those two are pretty good <laughs> And I just I, I wonder as well, um, you know, the the value side of of the proposition. Um, do you find it, it they should really tout the service side of their business over their pricing because it does become a commodity business? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I th I don't think um, folks should uh, not just focus. They need to focus not just on safety but making money. And uh, because you can't be sustainable if you don't have a good margin uh, and you don't right. have cash flow to repair your equipment, to pay your folks. Um, and so, um, you know, you shouldn't get in business and try to run a business on a thin margin. It's not sustainable. And I would say anything under 20 percent begins to get to be unsustainable in terms of an EBITDA margin. Um, mm -hmm. so you, you need the free cash flow. You obviously, you need to you know, you may have some debt. You've got to pay your people well. You've got to repair your equipment. I'm being repetitive, and I apologize. But so, um, sure, customer service is extremely important. It's basic, but you also have to charge. And a lot of times, people are fearful about raising their prices for losing a client to competitor. But you can do an analysis, and uh, it's not that hard to do. And it sort of some, goes something like this, that you raise your prices 10%, lose 20% of your clients, and you're more profitable. 
So it's, mm-hmm. it, um, people people need to, to uh, demand to get paid for the services they're providing. These are these are difficult services. They're important and they're expensive uh, in terms of the equipment and manpower. So uh, they cannot be shy about charging for uh, for this service. Right, that makes sense. And it looks like you've been very involved in the operations and financing side of landfills as well. Have you run into any sort of not-in-my-backyard type of resistance or any similar political issues along the way? We developed a large landfill in uh, eastern Ohio, Apex, still out there, and we uh, built a rail transloading facility in Kearney, South Kearney, New Jersey, um, and you know bought all the equipment and uh, rail cars and all of that sort of thing, and actually developed uh, into what still exists today is a unit train uh, that uh, goes from uh, Kearney to uh, on Nor- Norfolk Southern to uh, Apex Landfill every day. So we have 5,000 tons a day, our own train back and forth every day. And we also at the same time developed a landfill, uh, a C&D landfill sort of north of Apex uh, that took rail in C&D from a variety of places in New Jersey, New York. We, uh, when, when you bring in construction demolition waste, you get um, a lot of wallboard, uh, it's, it gets crunched down, and then you know, when combined with oxygen and water, it can produce hydrogen sulfide smell. Well, we, it's a C&D landfill, and, and we had some similar experiences over at the MSW landfill, but I think it's more extreme at the C&D, where uh, we were, um, you know, we would carefully cover it every day that would then contain the smell. So we didn't really have smell issues. But at one point we were doing some construction of a new cell. Uh, we peeled off a layer of dirt. Uh, we had a lot of smell. Neighbors complained. Uh, we immediately shut the landfill down, recovered it, eliminated the smell. But the neighbors used that as a opportunity to cry wolf to, to the head of the DEP and the governor and they continually lied. And we actually would run around with uh, measuring uh, devices that would be like right next to somebody's house while they were calling the DEP complaining and we would show no no, um, no smell. So we, we cured the problem, but their continual complaints uh, and the DEP didn't uh, really like, or the Ohio EPA didn't really like us railing garbage in that much. Anyhow, they continued to restrict uh, what we could do at the point where we really weren't making any money. So we actually finally just shut the landfill down and closed it, which was an expensive uh, process, but uh, you know, it was very unfair. I used to always think that work hard, do the right thing and, and everything will be fine. But I learned uh, the other lesson is that you cannot fight city hall. And when you had a very right. liberal head of the Ohio PA, EPA, uh, essentially accepting complaints that were absolute baloney, uh, that can be very dangerous. So you don't want to get your neighbors upset, and if you do, you want to solve it right away. Uh, we should have probably bought a few neighbors out uh, in hindsight and could have just gotten rid of them uh, because they um, you know, were untruthful. But anyhow, it was a, it was a lesson learned, and uh, you know, you, once things get riled up in an area around a landfill, it's hard to calm them down. Right. I've heard that and understand that living in all of our communities. So it sounds like you did the ultimate thing that you could do at that point. <laughs> Your hands were tied. Yeah, it was, uh, it wasn't fair. It wasn't reasonable. Uh, but you know, life moves on. Um, we did learn, learn a lesson and that is, uh, 
you know, as I say, don't let people get riled up. And if they do solve it right away. And, you know, we, we always try to do that. And sometimes even as we did there, we solved it, but, uh, uh, even that can be uh, not enough. So it's yeah, I've, we've run into the, we've run into political issues. <laughs> I'm sure you've seen a lot. And so I've I read that when you were CEO of Liberty Waste and Liberty Tire, you successfully operated and sold around 100 companies. That's astounding, Jeff. Could you dive a little bit deeper into that experience? And and a side note to that, um, you know. The tire recycling is it still as as booming as it was a couple of years ago? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Sure, um, you know, so we we've done you know roughly a half a dozen what I'd call consolidation plays, and they all started out sort of you know, you know as a as a an opportunity and with uh, no particular end game in sight. I mean, Liberty, what we call now Liberty Waste One, uh, we had a PNC as our equity partner, Comerica, who has always been our Senior lender as our banker, and we acquired, let's say, some 25 companies around Chicago and other parts of Illinois and Vienna. And we were raising private equity to um, expand, and uh, we were pretty much done when Rich DeYoung of American Disposal, a small public company at the time, made us an offer to buy us that was um, something we couldn't refuse. So ultimately, Allied closed that deal because they bought. American first, but so it wasn't, we were really never planning on selling. We were building a company. We're excited about it. And, uh, but, you know, we recognize that, you know, sometimes you, you can move on and go to other locales. Um, Liberty two was actually a joint venture with waste industries where they uh, provided sub debt. Uh, we, uh, borrowed money from Comerica, built companies, acquired and developed landfills, hauling companies, transfer stations in Tennessee and Mississippi with the idea that Lonnie, Waste Industries would buy us out at some point, uh, but before we got to that point, Lonnie, that's kind of interesting, in 2001, called and said, hey, you could use his money back, and so uh, we put the company up for sale prior to when we wanted to, to get him his money back, and uh, we sold it to Waste Connections. That's when they came to the Liberty 3 evolved into uh, Liberty Tire, keep uh, it a long story short, and so with Liberty Tire, you know, we first acquired a couple companies in the scrap tire business in North Carolina, great companies. Uh, we really were suspicious about being in the industry. It's generally had been a lot of fallout in the 90s. But what happened in the 90s is people left when they got into the 2000s, actually were the survivors and had pretty decent businesses, and some of them dominant. So we started, um, you know, basically consolidating that industry. We bought 40% of uh, North America's uh, scrap tire recycling capacity and and collection. And so we did about 140 million tires and they still do uh, a year, about 500,000 tires a day. And no, the recycling business is good. I mean, the the, the company is doing well under great leadership and, um, uh, you know, the industry is fine. It's not really that it's a very hard business compared to garbage. you know, you just have a lot of moving parts, creating a lot of different products to sort of move the rubber. I mean, you get, you know, you're at a site and you get 20,000 tires in every day. You've got to deal with those 20,000 tires. You can't just, you've got to process them. Because 20,000 mm-hmm. tires is a big pile in a hurry. And uh, where people have been unsuccessful is they either didn't deal with the tires coming in or they shredded and made big piles and couldn't get rid of the product going out the door. 
So you have to meet markets, you have to evaluate it. So with Liberty, you know, we had a very uh, robust uh, operations planning so that we could decide, you know, connected with sales, what are we going to sell? What do we think we're going to sell? What should we make, et cetera. So it's a complex business, um, much more complex than you might think, but uh, it was a lot of fun as well. Um, you know, our, our fourth our fourth project was the 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 waste pro- the, the rail project I mentioned, and our our last uh, consolidation play uh, was one in Omaha and uh, you know Indiana. I'm sorry, Illinois and Iowa, and Nebraska, <clears throat> and uh, you know it was pretty typical of what we've done: landfills, hauling companies, transfer stations, and uh, waste connections. Bought that in uh, April. That long-winded answer accurately. No, that's great. And did you ever successfully donate the recycled tires to Heinz Field, or did they decide not to take you up on that? (laughs) Well, it's quite ironic because my brother-in-law is Art Rooney, and um, I would we every Thanksgiving we have a big family get together, and I would say to him, "When are you going to get rid of this turf and go to um, you know uh, artificial turf?" And I'll never forget the Miami game. Sort of prior to Thanksgiving, it was raining like like crazy, and the punter uh, hit a punt and it stuck in the ground in the in the wet turf. I thought oh. it happened that year. But he's always oh, yeah. he's always insistent. Yeah, I mean, I, if you'd seen it, I thought, okay, I got him this year. But uh, he always insisted <laughs> that the players and the coaches prefer natural turf. So I finally gave up. <laughs> so I moved on to other things. <laughs> There you go. And you might have that little clip on repeat every holiday. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it got too repetitive. Too many years. and I just gave up. <laughs> he knew the pitch. So I, <laughs> He knew the deal. Yeah. Hey, you never know. <laughs> he might come to you one day. <laughs> right. So I, I read an older interview with your, your partner, um, Andy Russell, and he described a deal that you did with a hauler in Chicago, and this may have been the one you were referring to that you did initially. And he mentioned how you said it was an easy deal, but he expanded on it to say that you, it wasn't an easy deal. You had to call the hauler every day and you became like a son to him. So it wasn't necessarily easy to everyone else, um, especially since waste management tried to buy that company for 40 years. But he said that you just had the energy and the compassion to get it done. So with this industry being so tight knit, do you think that that special personal touch that you have is part of what makes you successful in this business? Well, I think if you look at all the, uh, uh, you know, the guys who do a lot of acquisitions, like a guy like Rick Wojohn at Waste Connections, Dave Call, Brian Bills, these guys, you know, been around, uh, they'd all tell you the same thing that that uh, it, you know, it's very important to start with a personal connection. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I tend to really like the people that I have bought because, uh, you know, I totally relate to their, um, you know, how they've come up from their bootstraps. Typically they've started something, they've built it for a lot of years. Um, you know, I just really appreciate what they've done and uh, I'm sure that comes through. And because they've been successful, typically they usually have a lot going for them in the way of, uh, personality and other, other, uh, special skills. And, and so it's fun to be around them and it's fun to get to know them. And, you know, I, I always try to, uh, you know, work well with folks and I never try to get the last scrap on the table in a deal. And, you know, I always tell folks that uh, when we when we reach a letter of intent, 
Now we're going to try to get the deal done. Tell them at that point, we're actually now partners because we're trying to get from here to the end. And we both have the same objective. And we're going to run into some things between here and the end that we're going to have to bob and weave uh, to, to uh, deal with. And we have to treat each other fairly. And, uh, you know, I actually never feel like I ever really need a contract. Uh, obviously, we have them. But, uh, you know, we have uh, almost never gone back after a deal and asked for anything or had any claims. I mean, I can count on what part of a hand the number of times that's occurred in over 100 deals. So, um, you know, it's been fun. And I think, I mean, persistence is obviously an important ingredient in any uh, attempt to be successful. You know, I always tell my kids uh, who are now old, but I always told them no is an invitation to begin the discussion. You know, if you take no for an answer, I mean, you're not going to get very far. So, you know, just staying with it, uh, getting to know folks, enjoying them, um, you know, being fair. Um, you know, I think that's an ingredient that all successful uh, acquisitions guys have. I mean, I just cut a deal, you know, and sold the Waste Connections to Rick Wojohn and Jim Little. And, uh, you know, we did it over a glass of wine in about a half an hour. And, uh, you know, it goes to our sort of long-term relationship and friendship and trust. And, uh, right. uh, you know, I think that that's helpful. Definitely. Well, that's fantastic. I'd love to hear that. So how do you think technology has affected the industry from your perspective? Well, I think it's provided better information uh, managed with, uh, for one. So, you know, the uh, understanding of productivity, things of that sort is better. Obviously, uh, you know, uh, the ability to, to um, track trucks, build build you know more efficient routing, um, you know, has been you know helpful to productivity. Um, you know, things like you know, obviously keeping track of um, your maintenance and preventative maintenance and repair and replacing parts and things of that sort. You know, it's a kind of simple thing, but it's 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 helpful. Um, you know, there there are developing a lot of um, technologies and softwares to help uh, be more efficient. Um, you know, we our software company, uh, Dumpster Market, uh, provides online ordering systems for folks. So, you know, when we got started, only Waste Management and Republic could take orders online 24/7. Now we have dozens and dozens of companies that we've provided this online ordering system to. So instead of uh, if you see a typical roll-off company, they would um, say email or call us, you know, on their website. Now you go to people who uh, use our website capability that we provide them. Uh, you can go on an order 24/7. Put your credit card up, sign terms and conditions. So it's a little pitch for us, but you know, you know, it's typical of there's just a lot of things uh, developing to uh, help companies be more efficient. Definitely, and being customer focused, right? We're all getting accustomed to ordering when we want, at where we want. So you're, you're definitely accommodating that. Absolutely. And you mentioned that you feel like the waste industry is stronger than than it's been since since you started. Um, do you think it'll continue, or do you feel headwinds are coming and changes are on the horizon? I think the uh, the future industry is very bright. Um, you know, we've actually the industries withstand stood the headwinds of uh, you know the downturn in the recycling, and kind of hasn't mm -hmm. skipped a beat. Um, the big companies are. You know, very disciplined 
and let's face it, they're 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 they are the um, leaders for everybody. Um, so they're they're being disciplined. I think they're paying too much now, uh, more than they'd like to. They know that that's the market. I mean, with interest rates where they are, with their multiples where they they are, you know, they can pay 10x for something, and it's accretive. Uh, but they also know, and most of those guys have been around. You know, like Ron, you know, first met Ron at Middlestad at at Santa Fe in '93. I mean, these guys have been around, right? And and they know. I mean, Don Flager, they they know multiples go up and down. And I'm sure they just swallow a little bit hard paying what they seem to have to pay today. Um, and they look for ways that they can um, improve those operations, bring the you know with synergies, with pricing, with with other advantages they can bring. So they bring the effective multiple down over time. But they'd certainly much rather buy hauling companies at six times than eight to ten. So I think that's where the industry, when there is a recession. Rates go up, possible. I mean, things that would affect the multiples, um, you know, the, the multiples will come down. I can't imagine they'll stay where they are forever. But that doesn't reflect mm-hmm. the underlying strength in the industry, which is that, uh, you know, you, it's pretty oligarchic. People are making very good margins. Uh, you know, they're being much safer. Uh, they're led by, uh, you know, strong, experienced leaders. Uh, you know, guys like John Cassell, obviously Slager, Jim Fish, I mean, these, you know, Ron, I mean, these are uh, really great leaders for the industry and uh, they're not, they're not crazy. You're not going to see accounting changes. Uh, I mean, you just, you know, in the late eighties and nineties, there were so many, well, this waste management chambers. I mean, who knew what their numbers really were? Now the numbers are, numbers are solid. You're, you've gone beyond, you know, what is reasonable uh, to, to consider the life of a landfill and amortizing airspace and a lot of the technical issues, they've been resolved. And um, right. I don't see anything particularly uh, uh, harmful to the industry. I will say that the roll-off business will suffer the next recession. And they've had a really good run, uh, you know, since 08. But, um, you know, they will suffer a bit and um, then they'll come back. Then they'll come back after right. that. Right. You're right. I think this industry is very good at weathering storms, so and we'll continue to do so. Right. So what advice would you give to young professionals who want to get into this industry? Well, A, I think it's a great industry. Um, I think it's something people can learn. Um, you know, I sort of tell my kids that it's best to own a business. Um, you know, could they get in, uh, you know, learn, uh, you know, from the big guys, you know, be an employee, uh, Get, get learn skills uh, on the ground, uh, you know, and, and get trained. And then if I was a person after I did that for five or 10 years and felt I knew the business, I'd go out and try to buy, buy myself a hauling company. Starting, you know, a hauling company is tough, not impossible. People start roll-off companies all the time, but to go into any kind of major city or even minor city and start a front-end business, a commercial business, very hard because uh, most of the big guys in there, you pretty much everywhere have their customers under contract. And so you're sort of sitting around waiting for those contracts to expire. So it's very hard to start a business. Uh, but I think if you have the requisite skills um, and you've developed those, and you, you have some knowledge uh, buying a small business and then growing that. Uh, if I was a young person, uh, that, that's probably what I do. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. 
And then what else do you think we should be paying attention to in the world of waste recycling and organics? The, the waste, you know, I think the, the solid waste business is um, the one that, you know, is going to continue to be open to new tech, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's always tricky to build that. Um, but, um, you know, new ideas to help make the industry more efficient, uh, make it safer, um, you know, I think are always welcomed by the industry. Definitely. And to your point, they always seem to rise above it with the commodity pricing and the China ban and the issues around that. It seems it really breeds innovation, and we're starting to see a lot of that happen, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. So what keeps you busy outside of work? It sounds like, do you have four children? Four kids, 25 to 31. They're spread out around the country, so we try to get get to see them or get them together in Denver Louisville, Boston, and New York, but um, so that, you know, we don't have grandchildren yet, so that's uh, something hopefully that will keep us busy in the near future, um, <laughs> and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll travel a bit and uh, play a little golf and uh, do a little gardening, go uh, skiing, you know, sort of, you know, whatever the season, uh, but, um, oh, you know, I do enjoy working, I do enjoy the industry, uh, you know, I'm not that young anymore. But, you know, I, uh, I, I plan to, you know, keep busy in the business and I'm looking for you know, new opportunities, uh, you know, all the time. So it's, uh, it's just been a lot of fun. I mean, just a lot of great folks in the industry. And, uh, you know, I look forward to, uh, you know, uh, getting involved in uh, more opportunities down the road. I am uh, a partner in a group with a group uh, to two really smart guys from uh, southwestern Pennsylvania, uh, Nick Stork and uh, Rich Walton, who founded a company called Arkea Energy, and it's a landfill gas business, but uh, with some very interesting new twists on the traditional construction of landfill gas operations. And uh, these guys are incredibly smart and really hardworking. Uh, they're in their, you know, they're relatively young. I can remember what it used to be like, uh, but um, <laughs> just having a lot of fun working with them and uh, yeah, helping to build that company as, as and along, you know, along with our software business, the dumpster market. Right. So I've, you know, two really great projects and companies to work with, and then, uh, you know, but I can still see uh, acquiring, uh, you know, some solid waste businesses down the road. Good for you. Well, you've really touched every area of solid waste it's fantastic to hear and i can only imagine how many more stories you must have <laughs> could take days could take days <laughs> you had that much time <laughs> well thanks jeff this has been fantastic and I, I really appreciate you sharing your unique perspective with us today and i really i know our listeners are going to get a lot out of it uh, enjoyed enjoyed chatting with you too Liz. hope you have a great day Today's episode is brought to you by Amp Robotics. Did you know that Amp Robotics is transforming the economics of recycling using advanced artificial intelligence guided robots? Yep, the company's high-speed industrial robotic system, Amp Cortex, precisely automates the identification, sorting, and processing of material streams to extract maximum value for businesses that recycle municipal solid waste, e-waste, and construction and demolition materials. And the AMP Neuron AI platform operates AMP Cortex using advanced computer vision and machine learning to continuously train itself by
by processing millions of material images and adapting to changes in a facility's material stream. Plus, the AMP Insights web-based data management system captures all of this material stream data, providing insights and important alerts to operators so they can optimize the recycling business even more. And I've actually seen the system in action myself, and it's awesome to say the least. So go ahead and learn more at amprobotics.com.